Okay, my good people. You know, when we think about reimagining capitalism, we need to reimagine it from every angle. Today, we're going to dig into the world of philanthropy and policy with one of my partners in this fight, Eric Kessler, CEO of Arabella Advisors. They are redefining the future of the social sector by helping the world's greatest philanthropists use their knowledge and capital to move society forward. Let's go. Welcome to the remix. Eric Kessler, how are you doing? I'm doing so good, Jeff Cherry. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Man, I'm, uh, I, can't, I can't wait to, to jump into some of the things that you and I have talked about a lot in private and uh, exposing some of the group uh, uh, listening here to all of your wisdom. So um, first of all, thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. Um, Eric Kessler is the founder of Arabella Advisors. And I'm going to, um, you know, I was looking through your bio and going back through, you know, whatever it is now, four years worth of emails for us over over the day. But um, I, I don't know that I even know really the story about Arabella, how you started, how you came to this work. I'd love to sort of hear that, hear you sort of tell that story because uh, it's it's really interesting to me. The work you guys are doing are amazing. But how did you how did you come to this? Yeah, and I'll say you mentioned wisdom. I, I don't what I what I lack in wisdom. I, I I'm long in on longevity, so uh, <laughs> hopefully that's helpful. I've got you know, lots of stories. Not sure yeah. how, not sure how smart they are, but um, but uh, you know I came to this Jeff um, uh, um, 16 years ago uh, when I started Arabella. Um, uh, it, it, for me, it was on the heels of um, I, I, a long career in government service and the nonprofit sector. Had never been in business, um, had never been a consultant, but I did spend many years um, uh, on the front lines of social impact. Um, uh, you know, here in the United States and 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 around the world. Um, and through those experiences. Um, I'm sort of a collector of people, and so I, I'd collected a lot of a lot of philanthropists who had put money into work I'd done, or friends of mine that I worked with at the White House who went on to work at at large foundations. And over the years, they would call me and say, "Hey, Eric, you know, we're thinking about doing this. You know, what do you think about it? Or would you take a look at this and give us some feedback? Or would you connect us to this person that you know?" And um, and so for years, I had. I didn't know it, but I was a donor advisor and, um, and, and they would, you know, oftentimes say, you know, that was really valuable. Sometimes they say it wasn't valuable at all, but sometimes they, oftentimes <laughs> they say it was really valuable. And one of them said one day, you know, you should charge for that. And, uh, uh and that was it. I was, uh, I was, I was going through a part-time business program at Georgetown and, um, spent about a year and a half researching the world of philanthropy. This was in 2004, 2005. Um, so before the 2008 bubble, mm-hmm. um, a lot of money was being created. A lot of wealth was being created. Um, and my, um, and, and my belief was that there was going to be a whole bunch of new money in philanthropy and a whole bunch of new philanthropists made during this sort of tech boom that we were in at the time. And that new philanthropists would do philanthropy differently than the old philanthropists and that they, by doing it differently, they would need help, that they were going to work in a new way that hadn't been done. And I didn't know what that new way would be. I just knew it was going to be new and different. It was going to be a lot of money. 
therefore the potential for a lot of impact. And I said, you know, what, having researched the world of philanthropy, I, I, I realized there were lots of consultants doing lots of different things. You could get a strategy here. You could get an evaluation there. You could get, you know, staff support over here. Um, but there wasn't anyone that was doing it all. And so that was the innovation was let's build a platform business in the a platform service business um, where as new philanthropists were created and new money was coming online, we could, as a firm, um, uh, you know, hang different services on the platform and, you know, do this, create that, take that off because people don't do that anymore, so on and so forth. And so, so that was 16 years ago and we're, um, we're now about uh, 300, 300 people. We touch about $10 billion a year across um, all forms of impact capital, which I know we'll talk about. Um, and, uh, um, and uh, you know, it's been a great, it's been a great ride. And, and, and uh, aside from the business side, you know, the, the, the immeasurable impact as much as you try to measure it, the immeasurable impact that our clients have had and that we have the great, you know, great, privilege of being along with them for the ride. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do want to get into the impact thing, but explain, um, I mean, you, you've done a little bit of this already, but explain what, you know, sort of at its heart, what is a donor advisor? What does that, what does that mean if I had to define that? Yeah, so how we define it is we help people with considerable resources find the best way to have the most impact possible. Right. Okay. And so what that means is one day somebody comes to us and says, um, I want to eradicate polio. How do I do that? Or I just sold the business and I don't know what I want to do. Help me figure out what I want to have an impact on. Or, um, or I want to transform education in America and is that, do I do that through grants? Do I do that through investments? Do I do that through policy advocacy? Like make heads or tails of it. And so we spend all day, every day, figuring out the, the, the most efficient, most effective path to impact for a pretty broad range of clients. Um, uh, part of it is, you know, part of it looks just like traditional consulting, but for impact. And, um, and then there's an operational part to it as well, where, uh, you know, when somebody says, help me figure out how to you know, how to, how to, um, uh, make progress on Crohn's and colitis or on immigration reform. Um, we don't just say, here's how you do it. We then sit by them and actually help them help them do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me, Eric, because it, it now it shines a light on something that I've known about you for a long time, but hadn't put in that context. But when I first started, my architectural firm, which we turned into more of a management consulting company, um, people always say, oh, I hate sales. I, you know, I'm not a salesperson. And I'm like, I'm not a salesperson either. But very much like you, I collect a lot of friends, right? A lot of people that I've interacted with. And one thing I used to say at our firm was, here's how we want to, you know, from a sales perspective, here's how we want to be. We want our friends whether they be clients or just people we know, when they have a problem, to pick up the phone and say, I don't know if you guys do this, but if you do, can you help me with it? Because I trust you. I think your your heart's in the right place, all those sorts of things. So is that sort of how, it seems like that's how this thing got started. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was interesting because uh, when I, before I got started, I called friends at Goldman Sachs and at, and at um, you know, trust and estate for you know, places where wealthy people hang out. 
and look for solutions. And I said, how do I set myself up to be the person you call? And they said, essentially, well, you know, if one of our clients want this, we call that person. If one of our clients calls wants this, we call the other person. And sometimes we go on the internet and we just search around. And I said, well, that's, you know, one, terribly inefficient. And, and, and two, um, uh, not good for you. And so, 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 so that's part of the drive to sort of be a one-stop shop. So that if you're, if you're a wealth manager, if you're a state attorney, if you're just Jeff Cherry and you've got a wealthy friend who is coming into money in Baltimore and wants to figure out what to do, you know, you know, well, shit, I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to call Arabella or Eric or whoever. Um, and if they, you know, they probably can do it. And if they can't, they're going to help figure out, you know, right. So, you know, you always want to be the person that gets called just as a mat, you know, in any business. Um, yeah. So that's been part of our sort of secret sauce is to position ourselves to just be problem solvers. And, and I, I probably now spend half my time talking to individuals who will never be clients of ours, but we're just solving problems for them. And, yeah. um, and look, it, it all comes back. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, because that's sort of my, you know, before we even met, you know, and we, we met through um, our mutual friend, Seth Goldman, uh, introduced us for um, uh, when you were, were finally doing the Chesapeake Food uh, Summit, which I want to talk about the food thing later on, too. But um, before you and I even met, I had, you know, when we were raising our first fund, um, uh, talking to, I, I can't remember who the family was, but the, that's how I was introduced to Arabella Advisors, saying this is our advisor that tells us, you know, it helps us understand how, as you say, how to use our resources to generate the most impact. So you need to talk to them uh, uh, prior to that. So it was interesting to me when we first met that, you know, I was like, oh, Arabella Advisors. But then I got exposed to all of the other things that you are doing in that realm. So that sort of uh, one-stop shop makes a lot of sense to me. Um, how, let's talk about there's two things I wanted to talk with you about, and then I want to talk about the food thing. But one of them is how you guys think about impact and impact investing. So that is both from, are there certain types of clients that are more apt to come to you because of your viewpoint of the world of impact or, or, and what is that? What is that viewpoint? And, and more around, I want to start with the investing side and then go to the policy side. I, we've, we've talked to, um, uh, Wes Moore um, on, on the podcast. And at the end, which I'll ask you too, we always ask, what can we do for you? And Wes, one of the things he said was, don't forget about policy because policy is part of the thing that drives economic justice. So I want to talk about that. But first, how do you guys think about impact investing? Does it influence the types of customers you get? Let's, let's sort of roll around on that for a minute. Yeah, impact investing has been a real journey for us now going on probably 12 years, I think, when people were just starting to call it impact investing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there were like, you know, you wanted an advisor to help you, you know, do deals. There were like three people you could call. Um, and now there's, you know, 3,000. And, and um, you, know, you know, so our our our, we look at impact investing with our, and typically our clients look at it from two perspectives. Either one, I've got a bunch of money I'm investing and I just want it to do good. And I, I either don't want it to do bad in the world or I do want it to do good in the world. And so let's figure out the portfolio that accomplishes that. Um, more often for Arabella, 
it's much more specific than that. It's I want to build a strategy to impact education access in America, and I want to use impact investing as a tool to do that. Or I want to fix, um, uh, you know, our, our food system, and impact investing is a tool to get that done. And oftentimes, that's alongside other tools or levers, um, you know, philanthropy and policy and other things. So, so for us, our our impact investing work is pretty narrow and pretty specific. Because right now, if you if you've got a bucket of money and you want to just not do bad in the world, you know, any bank now will do that. For yeah. you. If you want to purposely do good in the world, you're going to call Jeff Sherry and you're going to say, what's your fund doing? Like we want to, we, we want to be, um, uh, uh, you, you know, you're a great vehicle for us to get this done. If you want a, if, if, if you have a specific issue you're, you're trying to solve for, you know, uh, mental health, um, uh, there's not that many places to yeah. call and, that, and that's sort of what we catch. I would say at the same time, not to, not, not to narrow your, 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 your own work. Cause certainly if anybody's calling, if anybody calls us to say, you know, we want to support entrepreneurs of color or we want to support entrepreneurs in Baltimore or, um, yeah. or you know, you, you know, we call you. Um, and, and so, um, so we're, um, we have a pretty narrow slice of the impact investing world that um, uh, that just feels right for us. Is that is that by by design or is it happenstance? Or it's just because of the nature of the clients, or I think it's a little bit it's a little bit of all of that. I think it's also the way the impact investing sector has grown. You know, when we first got into it, you know, the folks that were you know on the leading edge. You know, we're dying for a day when, you know, when when the big banks and the big wealth managers, you know, would would, you know, talk about impact investing, much less actually have their own funds. And now that's sort of ubiquitous. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to compete with, you know, J.P. Morgan on impact investing. I can't possibly. But it turns out those big fo- folks only do big things. <laughs> and 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 uh, and and, you know, for somebody who has a very specific interest, um it's just where we found ourselves adding the most value. And so, you know, we're not a fund manager. We don't hold assets. We're not an RIA. Um, uh, we're, but, but if there's a specific change in the world you want to see, um, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're, you're, you're at home here. Yeah. All right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let, I want to tie that into sort of, you know, you and I have talked about this, you know, walking down the hallways or sitting on a, sitting on a boat somewhere. But I want to tie that to, you know, what the podcast is really about is sort of this notion of the transformation of capitalism, right? We call it the remix because, you know, this idea that um, we can use capitalism as a force for good in society. Yeah. Not simply because of the thing that we're impacting, like the, the product or service, but also because of the way that we think about capitalism's impact on society as a system, right? Yeah. It might be, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, let's, let's, let's think about it for a second. That, um, because that's sort of how we came together, right? I mean, yeah. Seth Goldman said, hey, um, uh, Eric's doing this thing, Chesapeake um, Food Summit, and you know they're trying to reimagine the food systems, and I think that some of the businesses that you're working yeah. with 
would be would be valuable for that. So yeah. there always seems to be this intersection between yeah. impact invested and what we call stakeholder or conscious capitalism. I guess right. that's what I'm trying to yeah. get to. I get it. Yeah. So I I um and you're much more thoughtful than I am um uh, on on all this. I, I've, I don't know about that, but no. well, <laughs> I, um um my 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 sent my experience is that and i should explain that you know we work with i'll just be candid we work with a 0.01% i mean yeah. we work with um this very very narrow sliver of extraordinarily wealthy people and so it's not i wouldn't i would never suggest that they're representative of anything other than themselves and so right. so um that's just our lived experience in the work that we do um and um in our world, I think people um, believe broadly that um, that you need a social sector, you need a business sector, and you need a government sector to solve problems, and that they all play a role. And yeah. and that you know some issues, some challenges in our world can only be solved through grants, and some can only be solved through business and some can only be solved through government and a lot need some combination of all three. And so it's a fairly, I would say like not a very romantic view of, of, you know, of sort of capitalism. It's, it's really seen as a, as a, as a tool. So, you know, as an example, um, uh, um, uh, um, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to eradicate malaria in Africa, there's a whole lot of granting that needs to be done, but you also need, you know, cold chain storage and you need transportation and that, and in many ways, because of the economic uh, um, systems in, in, in parts of the world, um, you know, it could be that that can only be solved through capitalism, through business, that if somebody's yeah. not financially incented to do something, it's not going to happen. And so, you know, again, I don't have a very romantic view of any of this. I, I just think of it as a tool. And, yeah. and in some ways, and oftentimes the best tool. And sometimes, you know, we're, you know, I haven't yet seen a, a, a capital market, an efficient capital market that eradicates hunger. That is something that is charitable. That, and, and, you know, there are plenty of efforts to start corner stores and, Communities that need them, and that's great. And many of those will succeed, and we should certainly do more there. But um, th- there isn't a capitalist answer to everything, nor is there a you know charitable or a government answer to everything. So, yeah, no, that's a, uh, look. We we agree with that wholeheartedly, Eric. I mean, there's a role for you know not for profits, philanthropic organizations. Certainly, a role for government. You know, I I I. I, you know, the way I think about government versus some of my peers in the finance industry might be might be a little different. But um, let's I want to go from there quickly, though, to talk about this whole idea about, you know, the impact of policy on these on on these issues. Right. Because when we were talking to uh, Wes Moore, we asked about, you know, sort of of these issues. He said, look, when we were at Robin Hood, we were doing all these great things around poverty. But the question I wanted to ask was, why do we have poverty in the first place, right? And some of that is policy focused. So when we talk about, you know, we need grants to eradicate, you know, hunger. Um, why do we have hunger in the first place? And you know, how did that? How did we all get here? So I know that you guys do a lot on the on the policy side. 
So yeah. let's talk about how policy, you know, the impact of policy on social and economic justice and how you think about that. Yeah, well, look, the answer to that question of why this is because of institutionalized racism and, and right. you know, and, you know, centuries of, of, of uh, you know, culture gone wrong. And so, um, and yes, you know, government helps on that. But, um, you know, I don't know that government's going to change, is going to improve our culture. If anything, it seems to be doing the opposite, right? Right. So, um, so I, I do th- I do though think that that policy advocacy at a local and state and 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 federal level is critical on all these issues. And ultimately, um, you know, it used to be when I when I worked in government in the '90s that policy was on the leading edge of change. Like government was the one creating change, and we were very proud of that back in the day. And now, if anything, government is a lagging indicator of change and struggles to catch up with change that's already happening in the in the community. And you see that on, um, well, everything, really. Right. So, so um, it doesn't make policy advocacy any less important, but it's now in a different sort of place in the in the um, continuum of, of change on so many issues. And so um, so that, so that's an issue like we're on food, it's an example, like we're, you know, we're, um, uh, w- the, the work that we do that I do on, on food policy is really, you know, catching up with a market that's already moved. And, 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 and so, um, but that said, sometimes on a broad range of issues, you know, you've got bad policies standing in the way of good ideas. And so yeah. part, you know, I think part, you know, what we're doing now, probably more so in the nineties, I'd say like, we were advancing good, positive policy. Like we were making good, positive change. And now most of our advocacy is probably around getting rid of bad policy that's in the way. And that's everything from, you know, policing protocols to, uh, you know, energy policy to economic policy and, and, you know, um, everything else. And so, so, but, but I, I will say I'm, I am, um, you know, seeing some real glimmers of optimism, uh, and hope in lots of things. I mean, just, just recently, um, in the last two weeks, the, the Biden administration under, uh, Tom Vilsack's leadership at the department of agriculture, you know, just set out a plan to eradicate the debt, um, and interest and, and, and interest payments, um, for uh, virtually every black farmer in America. Mm-hmm. Funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, absolutely, st- you know, tears of joy from, right. from, from farmers in that community. Um, and so, 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 you know, I'm not all dour. I think in most cases we're, you know, trying to get rid of bad policy to catch up with where the world is, but there are still places where there's good policy on the cutting edge. Hey, If you're digging listening to the remix, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We're changing the world here, and we need you. Find us wherever you find your podcast. Okay, let's get back to the remix. You know, that that sort of reminds me, uh, Eric, that whole part of the discussion reminds me of this debate between, you know, ostensibly between you know, progressives and conservatives, big government and small government. And I always have been, you know, puzzled by that. Why don't we just have, you know, why don't we all just want good government, right? 
Don't we want policies that make sense? I mean, this idea of bad policy standing in the way of good ideas, um, it, it just, it always has been stunning to me, right? Well, but it's also, it's, it's also old policy, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, think about it. The, you know, the internet is regulated by policies created, you know, when you and I would take a phone, uh, you know, a phone with a spiral cord <laughs> right. off the, you know, off the thing and put it into a modem and right. dial up internet where we got, you know, uh, you know, a page every three minutes right. across the wire. And so a lot of it's just you know, half the people listen to this. I have no idea what you just I know, talking about. It's embarrassing. <laughs> just Google, yeah. Google, you know, Google, you know, yeah. dial up telephone. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, a lot of, you know, the world's moving fast. And uh, yeah. in some cases, in many ways, not fast enough. In other ways, you know, faster than anyone imagined. And, you know, policy moves slow. And particularly when you have these culture wars, these deep, deep, deep seated culture wars, it's, you know, it's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's um, I, I, I I've been thinking about this for a long time and you, you're right. I think it's sort of like it goes back to your your notion of, you know, there's, there's government, there's philanthropy, philanthropy and there's business. I I struggle with all of these things and I just default. Well, I can't I can't I can't get my head around those other two. The only one that I think I can impact is the is the business side, which is one of the reasons why, you know, in full disclosure, um, I, I do some work with Arabella on the board of one of their funds. And one of the reasons why I was so excited about doing the work with you, um, I, I feel oftentimes in some of those board meetings, I feel, you know, sort of out of my depth, but I'm learning a lot about, you know, this, this other sector that I think is really important if we're going to solve, you know, these big problems that we're facing, you know. Well, I like seeing you out of your comfort zone a little. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do you. I mean, yeah. listen, I, the, the work that you're doing in Baltimore and, 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 and you know, you, but also a community of, uh, of, of people who are really pushing the, uh, the envelope on, on capitalism as a tool for good um, is, you know, so critical. And that's, and there's a skill and a, and a, a lived experience to that, that, you know, that can't be matched. And so, you know, you do you. Yeah. We've, uh, we've come up with this idea that we're sort of pushing in Baltimore. There's a new group here called Upsurge Baltimore that was uh, founded by a friend of mine, Jamie McDonald. And one of the things that we've been focused on, and I think we're getting better at this, sort of being more clear and succinct about what we care about is this idea that we're calling Equitech or Equity Tech. So it's supporting any business that's using innovation to break down barriers to access, right? Um, barriers to access to anything or businesses that understand the power of diversity as a competitive advantage and or businesses that are founded by minority founders. So we're, we're sort of getting really excited locally about putting that forward. But I want to sort of tie that into sort of how we met with the Chesapeake Food Summit and yeah. talk about your sort of relationship with the with food systems and talking about breaking down barriers to access. I know that's a lot. We talk about that at the Food Summit a lot. So how did you get into the what's the what's the background with you and the and getting into food uh, you know, and, and how did that all develop? Yeah, it was uh, it, it it was it it didn't come naturally to me. Um, uh, it it actually came through to our client work. So we had 
a bunch of uh, folks at a bunch of clients we worked with who were focused on health and nutrition and equity and, and sustainability. And, um, and they were coming to Arabella to help them on strategy and impact and all this stuff. And I just sort of caught a bunch of those projects and, and, and got into them. And some of the earlier, early ones were around, um, were, were policy focused. I think one of the, one of the earliest was, um, working with a group of foundations that were trying to, um, through their grants uh, um, uh, and the grantees they support, um, had an interest in in improving meals at, that were served at schools. And and uh, it's all rolled into a piece of policy, a, a bill called the Child Nutrition Bill, um, which is a mechanism the federal government gives money to school districts to pay for food. And um, and you know they were asking us to figure out how to you know how to how to get more money. Um, to school districts so that school districts could provide better food to kids with the end result being, you know, better education outcomes because you can't learn if you're hungry. Right. And, um, and I looked at this and I was like, this is, you know, who's opposed to better food for kids? (laughs) Like, like this is a slam dunk, like, you know, no problem. I'll take this all day long. And, um, you know, naturally, like, you know, it wasn't opposition to that somebody said, we don't want this. It was like inertia and where's the money coming from and how does it compete with this and how does it compete with that? And, um, you know, and then, you know, and, and, you know, this district doesn't want the federal government telling them what, you know, food to and not to provide to kids and whatever. And um, and as I got into that into that fight, um, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, um, I realized that food and our food system was one of the very few issues that touched on everything. Like it touches on equity. It touches on gender. It touches on sustainability. It touches on labor and immigration and, um, uh, uh, and, you know, in rural development and the urban rural divide and broadband technology and, you know, all this stuff is all rolled into the food system. And so I'd come out of the conservation world, um, uh, which, you know, for years, the environmental community, you know, w- you know, worked hard to find connections to, you know, different parts of our society on jobs and economy and stuff. And this was just right there. Like you can't have what I would call a good food system. One that is, you know, where your food is, um, you know, equitably produced, sustainably yeah. grown um, uh, and providing, you know, nutrition, um, for all, if you don't address, you know, it's like, it's the biggest ball of yarn there is. And yeah. so you start pulling at it and I sort of got fascinated with it. So I, I, I got the bug and, um, and then start working on the farm bill and then started working on, um, uh, and then, and then recognized that, you know, that, that, um, uh, a lot of these solutions needed business solutions. So we started doing impact investing in food businesses and have done a bunch of that personally and with yeah. a bunch of clients and, I love it because it's a, I can sit in one place and, and see all these different things. And, um, it's a system. It's a, it's a, it is a, you know, it's a yeah. definition of a system and which makes it, you know, impossibly challenging to solve, but also, you know, extraordinarily fascinating to work on. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, you know, I've been around you for a couple of years thinking about some of these things. It sort of led you into some really interesting places. Like I was, I've been thinking about over and over again, 
the meeting we had, I think it was at the Rockefeller Foundation. Yeah. Um, and the, the discussion we had there about mainstreaming this idea of food as medicine and yeah. how now you have insurance companies starting to think about that. Um, yeah. That to me is that sort of thing to me is really fascinating. Has there been any what's the, what's what's happening in that realm right now? Yeah, I mean you've got you've got you know doctors offices writing prescriptions for fruits and vegetables. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, like we would have laughed at that, but, it, but <laughs> like why not? Like, yeah, that's, like that's the solution for you know somebody who's who's you know has you know poor nutrition, poor access to food. They're eating, a, you know, three, you know, a meal and a half a day, all from the corner store, you know, Doritos for breakfast. And, uh, um, uh, and, um, you know, so much of the health crisis in America specifically, um, uh, comes directly from diet related diseases. Yep. And so, um, so yeah, so food and med- food, food as medicine is really interesting. There's some great work being done, um, by a whole bunch of community organizations and farmers groups and insurance companies and and um, and healthcare providers um, uh, and it's still like you still say like you know prescribing fruits and vegetables and people still you know chuckle at they it they giggle they giggle yeah. a little bit yeah but, yeah but but it's 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 getting there and I do think that um, you know the tragedy of the last fifteen months yep. Um, came with a handful of, uh, of, of, of positive learning. And, and I, I wouldn't say silver lining because, um, yeah, to, to belittle the, the, the gravity of what we've all been through, but, um, but, um, recognizing the importance of nutrition and the fact that if you were unhealthy, the likelihood that you would have gotten this virus and, been you know seriously uh, um, hampered yeah. by um, uh, you know I think at home for a lot of people and yeah. so so I, I do believe we're coming out of this pandemic with a renewed understanding of our physical health and the way nutrition plays into that. Now we still have to solve the problem of the supply chain, the, the economics and access and inequity and racism in our food system and everything else. Um, but there's an understanding of that that is, um, you know, a major, uh, a positive outcome, uh, um, I think. Yeah, this is one of those areas where that, you know, that, that poorly framed question I was asking earlier seemed to come back together, right? Because you have all those things you just talked about. You've got policy, you've got racism, you've got supply chain, you've got, now you've got, um, you know, uh, four really good both social and economic reasons, um, insurance companies, you know, saying we should be subscri- you know, prescribing more fruits and vegetables, which is going to make their business better, but it's also going to be better for um, outcomes. It's a really so that's all. That's a whole fascinating thing to me around those three: the combination or the intersection of capitalism, philanthropy, you know, philanthropy, government. They come together in a really interesting way around the food system, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, one of our companies, Hungry Harvest, which you know of, and a lot of folks who are listening know of, they've been doing some really interesting stuff. They've got a, it's a really small component of their business right now, but it's called Harvest RX. Um, and they're working with Washington Hospital Center. Yeah. And a lot, you know, to, to, to do a lot of the same things. But how does that, how has that led you into one of the, one of the things that I love that you're doing is the, the sort of um, 
the Chef's Action Network. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that because I, I think that that's sort of fascinating too. Yeah, I love the culinary world also yeah. new to me. I mean, you you were deep in it. Yeah. You're, you're more you're more culinary than I am, uh, for sure. Um, I, I like to cook and eat, but, you know, that's a, you know. <laughs> so. You worked in the industry. I did. Uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, I'm just an interloper. But, but the, yes, yeah, so, so back, I was telling you about how I worked on those early policy uh, issues around child nutrition and, and the farm bill. And I'm a, you know, at, at heart, I'm a recovering political hack. And so when I look at an issue like that, a policy issue, you know, I immediately go to, who are the voices that matter that influence the debate? And so this was, you know, again, 10, 12 years ago, um, who's influencing um, uh, decision makers, in that case, you know, members of Congress, um, uh, to do the right thing on these on these issues? And there are some tremendous organizations, uh, uh, national and local organizations, nonprofits that are extraordinarily valuable in these fight in these fights. But there wasn't a ton of sort of celebrity um, appeal in the in the food world, and this was you know you know Top Chef was just getting started, and people yeah, yeah. Were like people would follow chefs on TV, and they'd be chef spotting and all this stuff. It was sort of like you know it was like when when uh, you, you know when musicians became you know sort of icons uh, and started engaging in public policy in the yeah. you know, 80s or so. Um, we were sort of on the cutting edge of that, and so 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 I wanted to influence these policies, and um, and I felt like we needed some new voices that would drive attention and that would have cred in their community. It so happened that some studies had been done that suggested that um, one of the most trusted voices in America on 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 health and nutrition was chefs, which you know we're going to laugh at because you know we know a lot of chefs between you and I and. <laughs> They're not always models of health and nutrition, but, no, no. but nonetheless, they, people, yeah. people, people trust They them. know about it, but they don't, you know, sometimes yeah. they're like accomplished kids. That's <laughs> changing, but, but yes, but, but, but people trust them. And so, so I said, listen, what we need is we need an army of chef advocates. We need an army of chefs who are business people who have credibility in their communities and employers. They know a heck of a lot more about the food system than I ever will. Um, and who can get meetings on the Hill can have influence and so, so we went about creating the Chef Action Network. Ultimately, it became part of the James Beard Foundation. Um, uh, uh, and um, and uh, over the last decade, we've trained, I think, cumulatively about 500 of the best chefs in America to be um, to, to use their voice um, outside of the kitchen on whatever issue they want. And for some, that's you know reducing food waste or improving you know access. In some cases, it's labor and wages. In some cases, it's it's you know LGBTQ yeah. and everything else. Um, but we've created this um, incredible network of chefs who um, uh, you know slave in the kitchen all day and then and then speak out on issues all night. And so it's a it's a it's a pretty remarkable thing. Yeah, I, I love what you're doing there. And look, this is something I hadn't thought about, but you're probably one of the uh, a person who has an interest in this like I do. I want to know what you think. What's your what are your thoughts on 11 Madison Park uh, restaurant in New York City that was once voted the best restaurant in the world going vegan? Yeah, <laughs> look. 
I think that we all, you know, I, I, I don't, we all need to reduce our meat uh, consumption. It's good for climate. It's good for everything. Um, uh, I am not a vegan. Um, Norm, I, as you know, nor am I. Nor, yeah, <laughs> I, I've seen you put away some hamburgers. And uh, uh, I was a vegan in college, actually. And uh, ah. um, look, I, I, I think that, that you know, reducing, reducing animal protein uh, is critical. I think that, that um, you know, I think Meatless Mondays is an incredible concept. I think it's, you know, probably should be Meatless Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Right. Um, uh, and, um, uh, and, and um, I, I do think that, you know, um, amazingly, again, it's one of those things that we would have laughed at not too long ago. And now, you know, they're, you know, long, you know hard to get, hard to get a table. And that's yeah. a beautiful thing. And yeah. it's not just, it's, it's, uh, you know, you talk about our mutual friend Seth Goldman, who's who uh, you know helped to create um, uh, Beyond Meat, um, and uh, um, and uh, um, you know the the mission isn't to convert people to be vegans; it's to uh, give people options and uh, that that don't include animal protein. Um, and um, and so I, I I do happen to believe that that animal agriculture is is actually part of the solution for um our food system uh but responsible animal agriculture yeah and, you know, um so um I, I i next time i'm in new york just because you raise it i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go to 11 madison and have a vegan dinner yeah we're you know molly and i've been thinking about the same thing i'm fascinated by it and i'm fascinated to see what impact it has on the restaurant industry writ large, right? I mean, I think it can be like Alice Waters. I, you know, like I said, I'm not a vegan, you're not a vegan. I'm not gonna stop going to steakhouses, but I am fascinated to see what impact this has on, on the food system. Yeah, and you have a lot of chefs now and a lot of restaurants that have, that, you know, they're not vegan, but they're serving meat as a side dish. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I had dinner up at Blue Hill Stone Barns with Dan yeah. Barber, who, yeah. you know, who, uh, uh, um, you know, famously, you know, will will serve a, you know a very small you know side of meat with an incredible meal, and uh, um, and that's where it should be. I think I you know he he says I, I want to paraphrase you know he says we're gonna you know put meat on the table, but where it should be, which is as you know a small side dish, not not center not you know center aisle. Yeah, no 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 question about it. So fascinating stuff. So Eric. Um, this has been really great. Uh, always good to catch up with you. Um, I want to finish by um, asking you the same thing we ask every guest. Um, what can we do to help you? What's the thing that's on your plate right now? I think about it as sort of a, you know, the one thing, the thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that if you could accomplish would make everything else easy or, or, or unnecessary. But how can, how can we, our community, folks listening, be of a be of a service to you man too few people ask you that question <laughs> i like that um well here's here's one i, you know, I mentioned that i sort of you know professionally i'm working it with sort of the point zero one percent yeah and what is always helpful to me and i rely on on you for this jeff personally but but you know this community you know perhaps as well um you know, accountability is in a, is an important thing. And so, you know, here I am spouting off about all this stuff and surely there's somebody listening to this saying, well, that's a lot of BS or, you know, he's not thinking about that or what about this other thing or my lived experience teaches me this, not that. I, that's extraordinarily helpful 
for me. Um, yeah. Uh, and and I and I listen to this. I don't want it to sound like I want somebody else to solve my, you know, my my problems or make up for my lack of perspective. But um, but for those that are inclined, you know, getting feedback on 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 you know you know just keeping all this real because we I I sit in an extraordinary position of privilege. Um, yeah. uh, you know, per- personally, um, uh, uh, in my own life, but in the, in the world in which I work professionally. And, um, you know, I think we, we, we strive to, you know, keep it real and actually spend a lot of time outside of that bubble. Um, uh, um, but accountability is, is, you know, famously philanthropy, there isn't a whole lot of accountability in philanthropy. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a billionaire X and you want to do Y, you go spend that money and, you know, that's your decision. Right. Um, uh, and, and, um, and, and, you know, that is what it is, but for us as a consulting firm, for me as a donor advisor, um, you know, we, we I think it's important that we be held, held accountable for what we're doing. So when we say, you know, when I say I'm going to work hard to, um, to, to fix our food system, uh, and here are the three ways we're going to do it. Um, uh, you know, I, I welcome the, the feedback, the criticism. I love an attaboy as much as anyone else, but I also appreciate, you know, folks who, who, who say, you know, you're missing, you're missing this. Awesome. Well, that, that's actually a, a great answer, Eric. And so we'll, uh, you know, we'll put that out into the, into the community. If you heard something here, you want to respond to it. Um, there'll be links on the website that you can reach out to us and let us know. Uh, we're doing a good job. We're doing a lousy job. Give us an attaboy or tell us uh, what we should be doing better. So um, can't uh, end it any better than that. My friend, it's great to see you as always. Uh, you. I love spending time with you. Looking forward to uh, maybe some time on the water this summer. With a, with a you know, like a veggie burger. Maybe with a, well, I did, I made a, I will say we should tell Seth this. I made a Beyond Meat uh, Bolognese for Molly a couple of weeks ago. She said it was one of the best she's ever had. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep doing that too. So, I love it. I love yeah. it. I, it tr- truly a privilege uh, uh, to be with you, not just as a friend, but as, a, as uh, someone who I always learn from and I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Capitalism, the Remix. Until then, keep the faith, keep grinding, keep building with purpose, be kind, and do the right thing. We out. We out.